Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Uh, California has already had its Texas moment. That was 20 years ago. Uh, we've gone through everything, every, every form of madness known to current uh, politics. We had our taxpayer revolt against property taxes, Prop 13. We had Pete Wilson running commercials saying the immigrants were running over the border and going to invade us. Uh, uh, we, we took repressive measures. Uh, we uh, led in mass incarceration of young blacks and Latinos until we couldn't afford it anymore. Uh, we, went, we tried the strongman approach. We threw out Gray Davis and put in Arnold Schwarzenegger and discovered that he couldn't deliver either. So we've had it. Uh, the fever is broken in California. In addition, um, California uh, ha has a, a future uh, far different uh, than Texas. It's a, it's a positive future because we're already implementing uh, immigration reform, clean energy, alternative energy, uh, 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 more funding for schools and colleges, more taxes imposed on the rich. Uh, in recent years, which positions California, uh, I think, for a, uh, you know, a long-term effect on uh, the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. The wind is blowing again from California, and the wind is progressive. Today we are talking with Mike Hirsch, who is the Communications Director for Progressive Democrats of America. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about a petition you folks are circulating right now to encourage Bernie Sanders to run for office in 2020. How is that going? It looks like you're getting um, quite a few signatures on there, and it's, it's growing momentum. It is growing really great. It's actually one of the easiest things to do. Um, you know, we're not positive that Bernie will run, but we're pretty sure that he will. Mm -hmm. And we think that he did so much uh, great things, so many great things for our country, raising issues that had been kind of pushed to the side and deemed uh, not worthy of consideration. And we do think that um, if Bernie does choose to run, and we do think that he will, that he's going to be a significant contender, and, and we think that he's the front runner. Yeah, I agree. If he runs, I think he will be the front runner. Uh, you know, I mean, say what you will about Bernie, but he has absolutely pushed the conversation to the left in both the party and the country. I don't think before Sanders' primary run the last time, we, we would be having Ocasio talking about having a higher tax rate of 70%. I think that just wouldn't even be on the table. So... If anything, he's a leader. Um, he's very effective at pushing for good uh, progressive policy, and I think he should run. Now, some of the pushback we see is that he's too old. I don't think he is. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's kind of ironic that a lot of the people who are saying that Bernie is too old are also saying that Nancy Pelosi is the greatest <laughs> speaker of the House in history, and she's doing a tremendous job, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be rude enough to mention a woman's age. Mm -hmm. However, they let's just say that they are contemporaries. That's right. And, and um, Diane, Diane Feinstein too is who is older than Bernie, actually. So a lot. I've, yeah. I've seen that. Well, you said that, not me, but. Yeah. <laughs> 
But and, and, and in terms of just personal knowledge, something that I've seen, um, Bernie had a, an incredible, exhausting uh, coast-to-coast uh, campaign barnstorming tour where he elevated Democrats and helped Democrats win for the House all around the country. He stopped in uh, every, everywhere coast-to-coast and helped people win, even people that he didn't endorse in the primaries. Um, right. So he would endorse one candidate. If his candidate won, he'd help, help them. If, if some other candidate won, he would help them. Because Bernie has, has been on record for a long time saying that as long as the House was dominated by right-wingers, mm-hmm. we wouldn't get anything done. And I'm not going to give Bernie all the credit or, you know, whatever, but he, he has earned substantial credit for doing a couple of things. One is he inspired people like AOC to run in the first place. Mm-hmm. He helped uh, candidates that people gave up on, like the, um, you know, even the Republicans are now admitting the obvious that uh, Steve King in Iowa is a white supremacist. Right. Um, Bernie helped somebody, uh, um, uh, J.D. Shelton, almost uh, defeat King mm-hmm. uh, in a heavily red district. And what Bernie is doing is he's playing a long game. He's building up resources and inspiring a whole generation of people who are inspired by his message and want to uh, make America better, including AOC, including other people who got their uh, uh, start in politics volunteering for him. And now they're already in Congress. I mean, that's a real fast turnaround. And Bernie's also created a space where people can talk about things like the fight for 15. And now people are saying 15 is not enough. And I agree. But until you start having that conversation, and Bernie was uh, talking to a national audience throughout the debates, talking fight for 15, uh, fairness and human rights for the Palestinians, which has been a a verboten uh, um, subject in, in, in American politics. He's been pushing for Medicare for All, which is, you know, has been more or less uh, popular for quite a while. And people have been working on this long before um, Bernie ran for president. But merely his elevation of the issue has allowed people to say this is not a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very telling that certain people, not just Republicans, but mm-hmm. also uh, some Democrats were accusing uh, Bernie of promising things that couldn't be delivered. Well, here's the thing. If you're over 65, single-payer is reality. If you're on Medicaid, single-payer is a reality. If you're a veteran, if you're in the armed services, single-payer. So what we already have is uh, Medicare for many and Medicaid for many. What Bernie has wanted to do and what um, great leaders in Congress, like uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, uh, are saying is we should all be on that system. It shouldn't be uh, an age uh, exclusionary system. It should be everybody. And um, thanks to Bernie, um, we now know that 70% of all Americans support this in consistent public opinion polling, and even a majority of Republicans support it. And when Fox and Friends had a poll of their viewers and said, um, Medicare for all is going to cost a lot of money. Is it worth it? Um, well over 70% of their own Fox News, um, Fox and Friends viewers said that they supported mm-hmm. Medicare for all and it was worth the cost. 
and and on top of that, uh, a libertarian think tank ran the numbers and found out that while it would be very expensive to have a Medicare for All program, it would be trillions of dollars more expensive That's not right. to have it. That's right. So, so, and and I'm not going to say that Bernie is the only one who's been working on it. A lot of people have been working on this, but Bernie, by his candidacy and by his articulate advocacy, has been able to take things that were not uh, spoken of. Mm-hmm. And bring them right into the middle and, and, and front stage center on um, on, on policies, and just about every declared and some of the undeclared candidates for president on the Democratic side co-sponsored his legislation. Right. So it's very tough for people to say, "Well, Bernie's uh, legislation is pie in the sky and unicorns and this right. and that right. and free yeah. stuff." When, no. when they're all for it. No, which, which is true. They also say this about a publicly funded university, but that just kind of blows my mind because we once had publicly funded university. We definanced our public university system. That's why the tuition is so high. When I attended UC Irvine, I paid, it was still financed uh, mainly by the state, and my tuition was you know less than $400 a quarter. Now, you know, you look at a budget that's only um, 8% coming from the state. So it's, you know, we chose to definance the system. This was a neoliberal push when we were, you know, and it started under Reagan, but it continued under the Democrats as well. They were all pushing for privatization, not just of our utilities, but yes. also of our, our education system. So, so this is sort of where we're at now. So it's not a unicorn. It's something that we should return to. It was a good thing. It was an investment in society. It was investment in our um, population, less crime. All, there's so many benefits to, to, to doing this that far outweigh any um, yep. increase in cost. Plus the defense budget. Look at our defense. Really, we, we have to give that much money to defense. It's outrageous. Absolutely. And you made a very good point. You talked about you went to a, a state-funded university, mm-hmm. and there, we also have community colleges. Right. These are are all institutions that are funded with tax dollars, and yet mm-hmm. taxpayers are told they have to pay on top of that. Now, here's here's the situation. It'd be like we've got a, a national highway system funded by the taxpayers. It'd be like putting a toll on all of that. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't stand for Don't it. Don't give them that idea. It's not, <laughs> well, they, they, I think they already have that idea, but um, the, the situation <laughs> that we have now you know, right now, is like the, the proposal isn't if, um, you know, uh, uh, Bezos's kid wants to go to Harvard, you give him money to go to Harvard. It's not about that. Right. It's about state and local uh, colleges and universities and community colleges, which we're already paying for. That's right. We should pay as much as it takes so every person who wants to go to college and Go to, and it's not just college because college is not for everyone. Right. I went to college and some people didn't last because it wasn't for them. That's right. Um, but it should be for college, uh, vocational training. People can learn a trade, mm-hmm. learn to be a mechanic or, or other, you know, there's a whole lot of different yeah. things that we need doing. Plumber and electrician. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in this country, even just to, uh, rebuild our bridges and, and our infrastructure and tunnels that are falling apart. Uh, it's it's horrendous, and uh, we we really need to put people to work. We need to make sure that people can go and learn how to um, you know come up with the the next cure for a disease or um, you know cold fusion or right. all kinds of different things that need doing. And we can do it if we invest in our people. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the uh, outrageous uh, defense 
budget. I don't call it defense because we're not defending ourselves. Right. It's really a, bu- it's, it's a bunch of boondoggles, yeah. and we're making so many weapons so fast that we can't even store yeah. them inside. That's There's insane. like places out in the desert, 60 yeah. Minutes has shown this, where it's just like, you know, as far as the eye can see, you know, countless billions, if not trillions of dollars of highly sophisticated planes and all kinds of things just stretched out. We can't, we don't even have hangar space for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of that TV show Hoarders. It's so yes. people go out and buy so much stuff that they can't even fit it in the house. That's right. You know, we've, we've got weapons of mass destruction. Yep, weapons of mass destruction and all this. And we have so many weapons that, that we're um, giving them to local police. So, you know, um, Congressman Hank Johnson talked about how he went to a parade in, um, in Atlanta, whether it was, you know, Labor Day parade or whatever it was. And there were like armored uh, military uh, units uh, rolling down. And he's like, you know, the, the mayor's up on top and waving at people. And he says, Mr. Mayor, what, you know, what, is, what, what do we need this for? And he's yeah. like, hey, they gave it to us. We're taking it. You know, and, and the problem with that is that it, it, it's like a trickle-down uh, violence that, yeah. you know, it, it, there were these units were being used against peaceful protesters in, in uh, Missouri. And then we used it against peaceful protesters again, because if people have a, have weapons, they tend to use them. You know, let's try to uh, de-weaponize our society and de-weaponize our budget. Mm-hmm. And if we diverted just a tiny percentage of that, um, you know, gross overspending, the hoarding that, that's going on with these weapons to meet human needs, we could uh, um, wipe out student debt. We right. could, um, right. you know, eliminate poverty and homelessness. There's so much that we could do, and it's just, uh, you know, it's equivalent to somebody who can't feed their children and, you know, can't, you know, keep, keep their house and goes out and takes every paycheck and goes out and buys more weapons and just yeah. stacks them all up. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just, it's, 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 uh, um, you know, it, it's psychologically uh, damaged. It, it's right. just, you know, a mental, mentally ill. Um, reaction and you know, it, you know. I understand that the, the the trauma of being threatened by another country, but we haven't been threatened by another country since you know the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. You know, it's been quite a while since an American was attacked by another nation. Right. Um, you know, it's it, 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 when we have casualties, it's largely because we have troops in places that Congress hasn't authorized. Sometimes the American people don't even know about it. And, you know, the question is, what are we doing out there? What, you know, bring them home. It's the neoist uh, doctrine that, you know, they're making the safe, the world safe for American corporations. It's got nothing to do with defense. You're correct on that. This is all about corporate money, military, industrial, complex money. I mean, Eisenhower, of all folks, warned us of this decades ago. I come to you with a message of leave taking and farewell. This speech did not get very much attention. When a new president is coming to power, as John Kennedy was, the spotlight was not on Dwight Eisenhower. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. There was a feeling at the time that this must have been written by some speechwriter who just sneaked into the speech. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Three months ago, uh, we got contacted by a family up in Minnesota 
saying that we have documents from Malcolm Moose. He was responsible in, in part for drafting the military industrial complex speech. These new papers give us written evidence that this was not just some caprice of Eisenhower's or something by some speechwriter. You see the evolution of his speech from, from May 1959 to uh, 1961. And he wanted to give this speech for a long time, two years. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. There was one person in Dwight Eisenhower's life whom he really confided almost everything to, and that was his brother Milton. There's one particular document where the speechwriters had already drafted their version of the speech, only to see uh, Milton come along and totally revamp had already been, been written. When Milton Eisenhower was uh, taking notes and writing things on the drafts of these speeches, the speechwriters knew that it wasn't Milton talking, it was Ike. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Eisenhower repeatedly warned during his presidency mm -hmm. that um, it was getting to the point where these large corporations were just making money out of making weapons that we didn't need, yeah. and he gave, you know, the, the, the farewell address is the most famous, but he made an even more eloquent one earlier, where he talked about the same basic theme, themes for every battleship, for every fighter jet, you know, these are people who are in our country who um, don't have good schools and mm -hmm. don't have uh, food, you know, we've got school children who are too cold in the winter, too hot. In, in you know the uh, the fall and the, in the spring, the, there's leaks coming down. They're using books that stopped with uh, Richard Nixon as president. Right. Um, things are falling apart. The desks are falling apart. The teachers are underpaid, and the teachers have to reach into their own um, uh, salary, into their, their own pockets, and pay for things. Yeah. And then the kids go home. You know, the kids have um, they're on a school lunch program, but over the weekend. No the parents can't eat. The parents give their food to their children. And this is not in, you know, Somalia or, or you know, uh, some third world country. This is in the United States of America. This is, you know, uh, you know, 40 minutes down, down the road from where Congress meets. Right. And that's scary. It's true. It's all scary. We have our priorities um, all backwards at this point. So, which uh, brings me, so Progressive Democrats of America, I think, have a really good uh, mission and strategy. You talk about a sort of an inside-outside strategy, meaning that you work both within the Democrat Party uh, machinery to support progressive candidates, progressive delegates, and all of these sort of things. But you also work with outside groups and outside activists that organize and promote justice and progressive policy. And I think this is... Um, this is an effective way to go about things because we have to fight on two fronts. There are a certain amount of folks that are just entirely disenfranchised from the Democrat Party, and I, I think their beefs are legitimate. I understand why they feel the way they do. I get it. But those are also our allies. These are these, They should be our natural allies. These are the folks we need to bring into the fold and have support uh, our candidates, if we're going to win elections, you cannot win an election with just the Democrat base. It's what, 26% of the country at this point is registered Democrats. So the vast majority of, of folks are registered independents, and I would tend to believe from my experiences that a lot of those folks, if not the majority, are definitely left-leaning. 
Um, so I think this is a really good strategy. Tell, tell us a little bit about how this uh, strategy was developed over time and um, some of the current efforts that you are doing in this area, both inside and outside. Absolutely, and, and you raise a lot of very good points about the breakdown. The biggest political party in the United States today is not a party. It's the independents. And the idea that you can turn your back on them and antagonize or alienate them and win anything is uh, is absurd. And sometimes I wonder if um, some of these people who claim to be the most uh, loyal Democrats would rather lose to a conservative Republican than win with a progressive Democrat. And, 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 and people talk about the Democrats. Well, there are millions of Democrats. And a lot of people who would love to be a Democrat and used to be a Democrat, but they were pushed out by the neoliberal Democratic Leadership Council. They came riding in and said, we've got all the answers. You just lost to Reagan. Um, you know, you're, you're never going to win unless you listen to us. Here's our plan. We'll be as much like Republicans as possible, but, you know, we'll have like, we'll be a little bit down low on the bigotry. You know, the Republicans are trying to hide their bigotry, but we're going to hide ours even better and give you the same economic union-busting, um, trickle-down, uh, failed economic theory, but will at least be palatable to the Wall Street donors. And what I call that is it's like being like the side person, you know, in a relationship. Somebody else is the, the main person, so you got corporate America. They're shacking up with um, the Republicans, but we're going to be the side person. So we're going to get them on weekends and, and that kind of thing. That's not the position that we want to be. You know, we, you know, we already have one pro-corporate party. That's the Republicans. And if you're the almost pro-corporate party, what you're going to do is alienate uh, um, everybody who's not getting a fair shake. And you're, 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 the whole strategy is predicated on lying to working people and middle-class people and telling them that you're really for them and then betraying them again and again and hope they don't fall, you know, they, they don't catch on, that they keep falling for it. And that's immoral, it's unethical, it's dishonest. So what I say is, let's go back to uh, the best parts of the Democratic Party. Let's play the greatest hits, not go with these, you know, weird things, you know, it's like, it's like the Beatles. Let's stick with Hey Jude, not Revolution Number 9. Let's go with the things that people really like. So PDA started out as a bunch of real hardline activists, people who challenged the system. At our launch in, in 2004 in Roxbury, Massachusetts, it was right after the, the uh, convention that nominated um, John Kerry, and we heard him talking about how Iraq is a noble cause, and you know, he's going to uh, do the same things the Republicans did, but manage it better. And, you know, um, it was like, uh, uh, um, you know, reporting for duty, sir, and, and saluting. And we were like, huh, that ain't, that ain't us. You know, that's not the message that we wanted to hear. And so we got together with people like Tom Hayden, who, you know, recently passed away, but also um, Howard Dean, who his, his uh, progressivism recently passed away, too. Um, Dennis Kucinich, Reverend Jackson, um, Barbara Lee. Uh, well, the, the interesting thing about Howard Dean is, yeah, real quick about Howard Dean is that he's the only person I know who went to medical school and became a doctor who was the black sheep of his family because they, they all said, oh, underachiever. 
because they were all Wall Street bankers. And I don't know, you know, just he, you know, people return to what, you know, what they're from too often. So, you know, that's what I think happened with him. I mean, he was very inspiring when he ran in 04. And, um, you know, we, we didn't leave him behind. He kind of left us behind. But so so we had like, um, you know, uh, uh, Mimi Kennedy, who's a, uh, an actress and a wonderful activist and a whole bunch of other, you know, kind of usual suspects of uh, um, uh, the left wing. And um, we lost uh, Progressive Democrats of America specifically to support a clear and straightforward message, Medicare for all, stopping global warming, ending corporate rule, um, economic and social justice for everyone. And, um, you know, those were our our messages then. We've been painfully consistent. It's very easy. I don't have to, like, check in and see, you know, what's our position today. It's been the same. We've been... So as a communications director for an organization that's based on principles and not the uh, the fad of the day or what, what, what's ever trending on whatever, we you know, it's a very easy job for me because I know where we stand. And the question is, how do you convert the power and the passion from the streets into the you know, halls of Congress? And people have been working on that um, and... It's nothing that we invented. To be honest, our um, template came from Dr. King and the uh, huge coalition he put together where people were marching and and struggling and civil disobedience. But Dr. King got it so he would be invited into the White House with Lyndon Johnson, and he would be bartering and bargaining with Lyndon Johnson. And that's the way to get things done. Because if you're not changing the laws and if you're not changing the policies, you can have as many people as you want out on the streets, but nothing's ever going to get done. And if you don't hold the politicians' feet to the fire, they will drift towards their biggest donors. And that ain't us. So so we just have a real, you know, simple plan. You know, we just have a, you know, we're, we're kind of a one-trick pony. What we're doing is is mobilizing progressives in a way that will make actual change to improve people's lives. We're not trying to shame people. We're not trying to act like we know better than anyone else. We're not trying to say that we invented anything or, you know, our way or the highway. But what we're saying is you've got to give the people what they want, give the people what they need, um, if you do that, we'll support you. If you don't, we're going to run somebody against you in the primaries, and we're going to beat you. Brilliant. Uh, you know, you mentioned the DLC in passing, and I want to maybe <clears throat> circle back for a second and talk about that. So the Democrat Leadership Council, yep. who was, yeah, so it was Patty Harriman, uh, the Clintons, uh, some, throw in some Koch brothers' money, and you had a group that was hell-bent on pushing the Democrat Party to the right, and this was in the 90s. So I know some of the millennials are probably not familiar with that episode, uh, and they were very successful. This is the group that birthed uh, Third Way uh, neoliberal think tank, which is Bill Clinton's think tank, and they're still around pushing for privatization and things of this nature, which is remarkable. And in fact, uh, this past week, they got caught with their pants down because... Uh, the Medicare Part D is sunsetting for negotiating directly on drug prices and allowing the government to uh, negotiate drug prices. So that part's going to sunset, and they're pushing to have it reinstated with a whole group of folks. 
but it was, I think it was the Osteoporosis Foundation. It was some foundation that sent a letter to Congress and said that, look, here we are with, you know, 250 patient advocacy groups, but half of the groups on there were not patient advocacy groups and, and included Third Way, which is clearly not patient advocacy. These were corporate lobbyist front groups um, sort of masquerading as being patient advocates. So, uh, you know, there's, so these folks are still out there. They're still in action, and they're still doing a, a lot of harm, in my opinion. And I don't, um, I don't understand how anybody that claims to be on the left can make the argument that the market, the, the market itself should be the moral arbiter of anything. That just seems morally bankrupt to me, but that's pretty much what, they're, what the claim is. So we're still fighting these folks, and uh, I just, you know, I don't see them going away anytime soon, and it's very frustrating because I don't, I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts, uh, deeper thoughts on the DLC? I know you probably were around protesting some of this stuff back when it was happening. Absolutely. Now, see, um, you make a very good point. A lot of people got involved with politics where it's been DLC Democrats and, you know, GOP Republicans fighting against each other over tiny differences that don't really matter. And that's where we get into the, the whole thing of identity politics, where identity politics is important. It's important to have diverse opinions and points of view around the table and people who've lived that life and have them... Um, give their point of view. But if that's all it is, then, you, you know, you might as well, you know, run um, uh, 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 Alan West, you know. He, he's an African-American. You know, you might as well run Marsha Blackburn. She's a woman. It can't just be that. It has to be that, but it can't just be that. And and the reason that we've been driven to that is got a lot of people who support a lot of Trump's policies, but they don't like his attitude and they don't like his bad behavior. But when it comes to tax cuts, you know, uh, um, Barack Obama signed into law a bill that made um, George W. Bush's tax cuts permanent, and he didn't get anything in return for that. Now, I happen to know that Barack Obama is a very smart man. I don't think that he did it by accident. We've got a, a situation now where a whole generation or more has grown up seeing Democrats um, pushing Ronald Reagan's economic policies and George W. Bush's military policies and trying to claim Republicans are bad. And that's why people say, I'm not a Democrat, I hate the Democrats. Well, here, here's the, 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 the problem that I see with that. That's only the, the worst. You know, and get back to the revolution number nine versus the, the hey Jude. You know, we've got a lot of people who are Democrats. Most progressives in the United States of America are registered Democrats. If they're elected, they're elected as Democrats. Everybody from Barbara Lee to, um, you know, the, the new crop of very exciting um, uh, young members of Congress who just came in, the whole freshman class. There's no Greens in, in Congress. There just isn't, you know, and it's... It, 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 and if, if you're a green and you want to vote green, I understand that. But what what I think is the DLC people want progressives to quit the Democratic Party because then there are people pushing back against them. And if you're pushing from a third party, I think that's great. You can elect a, an independent like Bernie. Bernie's not a Democrat, um, you know, uh, by registration. But if you can elect a green or an independent, that's great. But if you can't, and you're just splitting the vote between two progressives, I think that's a bad idea. 
and that that is part of the you know what the DLC ho- hopes that you do. Now the DLC actually um, claimed that they went defunct, but I think that they were a project of like the American Enterprise Institute or something, and they they're still around. And um, there's this there's this thing take if you. If you look at um, um, Candine's cat, uh, I, you just you just read my mind because I because, read your mind. Yeah, if you go to PDA's Twitter feed, it'll say who else to follow, and what I get a lot is this Center for American Progress. You go, wow, Center for American, that sounds great. I want to help them. What they really are, are corporatists against progress, because they're they're lavishly funded. They got millions of dollars. They got a huge amount of money from the United Arab Emirates, which next to Saudi Arabia is doing the most uh, um, horrendous violence in in, in Yemen. Um, and they, they, for some reason, they're giving a lot of money to near attendance group. And you're like, huh, is it, you know, see, it, you know, yeah, see, he has a reward program for corporations. So for 25K, you get this. For 50K, you get this. She rewards corporations that donate money with and, you know, the problem is, is I think a lot of people look at think tanks and they, they go, oh, it's an academic organization, a nonprofit. How bad can it be? Which is completely yep. false. Think yep. tanks are very much the third prong of the lobbying arm of uh, corporate autonomy. Exactly. Now, um, uh, there was a rash of scandals involving lobbyists. And there was a whole bunch of new legislation that said, you know, lobbyists can't do this. And lobbyists have to register. and Lobbyists have to report that. So what a lot of these people did is they go, well, then I'm no longer a lobbyist. Now I'm a think tank. That doesn't apply to me. I ain't lobbying. I'm just thinking really loud and passing out some money to people who think like me. You know, so so what so what we're seeing is, is, is it's just a sham. I mean, we should probably petition to force them to register as lobbyists. And and not only lobbyists, because lobbyists can do a lot of stuff, but what they're doing is they're advocating for certain candidates and and running oppo research against other candidates and um, search and destroy missions against other candidates. To me, that's what a political action committee does. So they're in gross violation in terms of uh, federal election laws, in terms of financing, because they're getting... Money from foreign nations and you know foreign governments. You can't do that if you're a PAC. They're getting huge amounts that that, that even you know violate the already eviscerated limits you know, from uh, McCutcheon and from uh, Citizens United um, regulations that are left in place. They're still violating those. You know, and then you got David Brock and everything that he's up to with all of his shadowy funders and. And, and, you know, um, the same guy who, uh, you know, re- re-victimized Anita Hill after she was victimized by Clarence Thomas, he came back in. I mean, uh, you know, you want to talk about the Me Too movement. Here's a guy who was, you know, uh, a misogynist, uh, you know, um, you know it, it, with a astonishing and, and, and uh, disgusting tactics. And then he comes over and just declares himself a former right-winger. And says that now I'm gonna, um, you know, now I'm on the side of goodness and light. And then he starts attacking, you know, women who supported Bernie or women who didn't support Hillary, and you know, um, attacking Jane Sanders. Spent on trolls, yeah, it was terrible. You know, they all complain about the 
the Russian troll armies, but they say nothing about Correct the Record. And in reality, Correct the Record spent far more money, far more money on troll farms trolling Sanders folks and spreading anti-Sanders rhetoric. It's the hypocrisy yeah. that's so Yeah, that's a fact. And, 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 and what their theory is, is the Hillary Clinton campaign that spent a billion dollars, and that was just the campaign, let alone the independent ad, uh, expenditures, were, were scuttled by about $100,000 of memes and and tweets and and Facebook posts, and it's like you know maybe instead of Robbie Mook, they should have hired some guy in Russia to run their campaign uh, for like you know one thousandth of the cost, and they would have won. Right? My God, no, you're not kidding. I mean, the hypocrisy on this is astonishing. They they go all Hulak Twitter trial, and you you read this stuff, and you're like, wait, I've never even seen this dank meme of Bernie in this rainbow outfit. What are you talking about? You're going to tell me that's what won the election or lost the election? That's crazy to me. Yeah, who, who knew? Because if we if we had known that, we would have spent like fifty cents and gotten Bernie the, the nomination if we knew that that was that powerful. You know, it's just, but, it's you, just crazy to me. But that's the narrative. Yeah, sometimes I think like you know Hillary Clinton's book. What happened is like um, every phone book in, in the country that these people are all to blame with her crossed out. I mean, you know the. I, I, you know, I understand that she felt that she was going to be president in 2008, and her supporters were sure that she was going to win. And it's real disappointing, and it hurts to lose when you think you're going to win. And then they thought in 2016, okay, well, we, you know, we got made sure Biden's not going to run, and none of the other big names are going to run. All we have to do is uh, beat up on poor Bernie Sanders, who no one's heard of, and and we'll win. And, um, you know, they, 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 you know, and they, they cheated in a race that they probably were going to win anyway. And, and so that raised a, a whole lot of concerns. I understand that they're deeply hurt feelings and people are very upset. And I understand that some Bernie supporters were probably rude and hurt people's feelings, but that was quite a while ago. And since they talk about, we got to get rid of, yeah. Well, see, I made a, a, a New Year's resolution that I'm not going to fight with anybody about 2016. I, you know, I'm sick of people demanding that I repudiate a tweet that somebody made several years ago. Um, what I've determined is that I'm not the complaint department for the 2016 election. Um, if anybody disrespected anybody about that back then or something to do with it last week, take it up with them. I, you know, I'm much too too focused on getting Bernie elected, and you know, first getting him nominated because I think that he would have beaten Trump last time, and the polls show that he was way ahead of Trump, and I think he's the best choice to beat Trump this time. So, if people are are beating up on Bernie and they think that they're trying to hurt Trump, I, you know, I just want them to rethink that. I mean, you know, if you if your objective is to make sure Trump doesn't get reelected, then support the candidate that you want, but don't beat up on Bernie Sanders because he's probably going to be the front runner. And even if he's not, he's going to be around. And if he's the nominee, do you want to have him uh, beaten up on with all these false rumors and allegations that the Republicans will then use against him? You know, I mean, you know, what about, you know, vote blue no matter who? So, yeah. But he's not—he's not a real dem. That's the—that's where they always go after. Yeah, see, that's what's he, How many he, times they see that it's ludicrous? 
Well, what seems to mean for them is that he caucuses with the Democrats. He's considered part of the leadership in the Senate among the Democrats. The Vermont Democrats passed an official resolution designating him a Democrat. And uh, when and here, if you listen to Bernie carefully, what he'll say is, you know, somebody said that the Democrats this and that and this, and he'll say, well, we have to do better. So for all, you know, Bernie is an, an independent-minded person, and he's registered as nothing because you don't register in Vermont. But he thinks of himself as part of the team. That's right. Yeah. He's definitely part of the team. This, this notion that he's not a real Democrat is just absolutely absurd and dumb. It just is. But I see what? these folks say, but again, these are like, what, 8% of the electorate or 8% of yeah. the party, I should say. These, it's not the majority. You know, these are the... the um, so, like the Pumas that voted for McCain instead of Obama because they were so hurt over whatever or losing that one. So these are not, thank goodness, these are not a majority or plurality, but man, they are vocal. Well, I'm really glad that you brought that up because, um, you know, uh, 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 polling shows that 92% of Democrats like Bernie. And what's not to like? You know, there's the, the other 8% are often very loud and very militant. And, and you mentioned the Pumas, but 25%, 25% of Hillary's primary um, voters switched over and voted for McCain. 25%, that's a lot. So, so of that 25%, a lot of them have dwindled. They've, you know, re, you know reconsidered and, you know, or, or whatever. But, they, you know, that's gone down to only 8% of all Democrats. And, you know, you know, I don't want to disrespect those people. They're entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to hate whoever they want or say whatever they want or repeat whatever lies they want. There's a First Amendment for a reason, and I do respect it. And, I, you know, and, and to be honest, I think that they only help Bernie by making these outrageous, you know, Bernie's a Russian asset. Bernie's wife drove a dump truck and dumped radioactive waste in a bunch of poor children in Texas. Uh, somebody tweeted well, that at me the other day. I was like, what? Yep, yeah, yeah. Peter Dow used to tweet that every single day, and I kept um, pointing out a, a number of things, is that Bernie and every uh, member of Congress from New England and every member of, of Congress from Texas were putting forward this resolution to allow Texas and these New England states to negotiate moving some of this, uh, you know, um, junk. It would be like, you know, old uh, x-ray machines and things like that that had like a small radioactive chart to, to get it out of like the soggy, you know, soil in New England where it was going to leak into the water and put it somewhere in the desert. Texas wanted it. George W. Bush was governor. He wanted it. Bill Clinton was president. He signed off on it. And they, you know, at that point, and Bernie had nothing to do with where it would be. And the supposed site, which is Sierra Blanca in uh, Texas, the people there raised hell because they didn't want it. And it ended up never being sited there. And Bernie had no position on one way or the other. And there were some people who, because they felt Bernie was such a champion against nuclear energy, which he is, and uh, for the environment, which he is, that Bernie, of all people, shouldn't be involved in this particular thing. And Bernie's position was this. It's got to be somewhere. We can't keep it here. Texas wants it. Let them figure out a safe place to put it. It's, you know, I'm not going to preact, you know, I'm not going to make my career out of like land use policies in Texas. 
and and he engaged with them in a um, constructive way. And as soon as they started getting kind of abusive to him, he said, I, you know, we're done. And that, you know, and, and that's what I would advise him to do. Listen to people. If they get abusive and irrational, then you got to shrug your shoulders and say, you know, namaste, you know, have a, have a great day, got to go. Exactly. And, no, that's good advice because they do get into these weird areas. Uh, you know, another thing they I saw circulating uh, yesterday is somebody's now, I have no idea where they would get this, but they found video of uh, Bernie and his wife on their honeymoon in Russia having shots with some locals, and they're putting this up. I, number one, I'm like, why are you propagating somebody's personal home um, honeymoon video? That's just wrong. Let's just say that. Secondly, like, this is your receipt, is that he went to Russia in the 70s with his wife and had shots with some Russians? Like, I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. It reminds me of the really ugly smears that uh, George H.W. Bush and his campaign had. Um, and, and, you know, the man recently passed away, and I don't want to, you know, harp on him. And, but it, it's a fact that when he, when he was debating uh, Michael Dukakis, he accused Dukakis of being a card-carrying member of the ACLU. This is from his own lips during the debate. And it's, you know, McCarthyism. That was like a, a quote from the McCarthyist people. And, um, you know, Dukakis, you know, the ACLU, this is a wonderful organization. A lot of our rights that we take for granted today, landmark cases, like 20 cases uh, for the Supreme Court, the ACLU lawyers uh, championed and, and made this country a much better country. So George H.W. Bush uh, was involved in, in, you know, like these, these Willie Horton ads. Oh, yeah, the infamous Willie Horton ads. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. Yeah, and all these other smears. But one of the things... One of the things that they did is they mentioned that Bill Clinton traveled to the Soviet Union, and they made a big, huge thing. Bill Clinton went to the Soviet Union. Good. You know, I, I would rather have a leader who understood what uh, the other major countries were about. And so Bill Clinton went to the, the Soviet Union, and, and Hillary Clinton married him. So does that disqualify him from being president? Maybe we should, like, retroactively impeach him for his uh, travelography? You know, it, 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 it's like, it, but, but the same people who, you know, defended Bill Clinton for a lot of the terrible things that he did, NAFTA and GATT and, you know, Glass-Steagall and a whole bunch of other neoliberal uh, things and, and Republican policies that Reagan and Bush couldn't get through, but uh, Clinton was able to. You know, they defend all of that. They defend Bill Clinton going to the Soviet Union, but if Bernie goes, now it's bad. You know, yeah, it, it, I know, I know. It makes no sense. Makes no sense. But here's the thing: if that's the best they have, good, good. That was my response exactly. I'm like, if this is the best <laughs> you have, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> good for Bernie. It looks like he had a good time on his honeymoon. <laughs> and my and my advice is keep talking about Bernie's honeymoon, and and uh, we'll keep talking about policies. 
Yeah, hang on, Mike. One of the tweets actually said, wait for this, uh, trigger warning, Bernie shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, um, my my advice to everybody who, who wants uh, a better United States of America, support Bernie Sanders. And if you're not ready to go there, but, but you know, or, or you already support Bernie, don't engage with people who are going to put forward nonsense. You can uh, correct the record, to borrow a phrase, and you know, and, you know, leave a link. You know, leave a link to buffing the trolls. But I just, you know, do hashtag block trolls and block them. And I've blocked 25, 30 trolls over the past weekend, and my timeline on Twitter is so sweet now. I don't see any. Any of this nonsense about, you know, Bernie uh, uh, returned the library book a day late, you know. It is not ridiculous. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, he took off the mattress uh, label that says do not remove, you know. And... Exactly. It's absolutely ridiculous. But this is where these folks are. And I don't honestly think it's genuine. I think a lot of this is astroturfing. Right? Yes. Uh, you know, whoever the chosen Clinton candidate is going to be, I'm guessing. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, we're going into what I am going to say right now. It's going to be a very nasty primary season. No, it's already pretty nasty. Yeah. Very pretty nasty. As you know, I got punched on Saturday. That was awesome. Yeah, I can't believe that. I can't believe that, you know. So, uh, but here we are. So I think, uh, so thus far what we've got, <clears throat> I, you know, we've got, a lot of candidates are throwing their hats into, into the ring, but I think pretty much all of them have some, some substantial baggage. Uh, so let's start with Kamala Harris. Now, as a Californian, I can speak to her record as attorney general, and for me, it's entirely disqualifying. Here is someone that supported involuntary servitude in the state when the California prison system was ordered by the court that the, that the overcrowding had come to the point where it was now violating the Constitution, and they needed to release some of these low-level drug charge um, convictions, her argument was that they needed this pool of labor. To me, this is just so grotesque, I can't even believe she did it. That's one thing. Um, she refused to prosecute Steve Mnuchin, who is now our Treasury, Treasury Secretary. He was, there was substantial evidence. I think he, she could have successfully prosecuted him. He was robo-signing wrongly robo-signing, illegally robo-signing uh, homeowners out of their homes here in the state. Um, you know, she covered up a false drug testing scandal that had, uh, where the drug tests had been used to convict folks wrongly that were innocent. But in, in her, instead of overturning those convictions and doing something about it, she uh, tried to cover it up. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. So I, uh, for me, as a progressive in California, this this is disqualifying. I know recently came to light also that she uh, took money from Donald Trump during her Senate campaign, which is, huh, okay. You know, some people might say that that's not necessarily disqualifying because he gave money to all candidates, but that is the point as far as I'm concerned. This is a businessman looking to buy politicians. He doesn't care what party they're from. Are you for sale? Yeah, I, I think that, that that's a very good point. I think that um, politicians and people, candidates running for office can say anything. And I used to be among those who, if somebody said they were for something, I'd take it at face value. If they were, um, you know, a, you know, said forcefully and effectively, I'd go, great, there's my person, I'm going to support them. 
since then, I've learned to, to, you know, to my dismay that some politicians you know, aren't always honest. And they'll say one thing, they'll have a, like a public position, and then behind the scenes, they'll have another position. And that's troubling. Um, what I find about the politicians that I really, really like is that they only but have one position, and if their position changes, it's based on good reasons. They, they learn more. And Bernie started out his campaign. He was not as forceful as he could have been on some issues. He um, was famously accosted on stage by Black Lives Matter activists. And he sat down with them, and he learned, and he got better. That's what I like to see from a politician. His, his priorities are very simple and very easy to explain. He thinks that the billionaires, millionaires, and big corporations and Wall Street, they've got enough friends and, and supporters in high places that they don't need him to help carry their weight. What he wants to do is talk about everybody else who can't afford a lobbyist or a think tank or whatever to advocate for their pet project and their you know, special subsidies or, or whatever. He wants to advocate for things that will affect and benefit millions upon millions of Americans, like we've talked about in Medicare for All, um, raising the minimum wage. And he actually browbeat Amazon, Disney, and one other, uh, Walmart, into uh, committing to raise their wages. And, and this is this is a senator from Vermont, but he uses uh, um, moral authority to force changes that we need, and, and he hasn't even declared yet. So these are the things that, that I really, really like, and, and these are priorities that I can agree with. Now, any politician, any person in office has the right to prioritize if they want to crack down on the scourge of truancy and make sure that, that, um, that you know, kids cut in class should, and their parents should live in fear. Kamala Harris made speeches in which she bragged about that. And I believe a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. So I decided... I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. <laughs> and frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned because we didn't know at the time whether I was going to have an opponent in my reelection race. But I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it. And this is what we did. We recognized that in that initiative, as a prosecutor in law enforcement, I have a huge stick. The school district has got a carrot. Let's work in tandem around our collective objective and goal, which is to get those kids in school. So to that end, on my letterhead, now let me tell you something about my letterhead. When you're the DA of a major city in this country, usually the job comes with a badge. And there is often an artistic rendering of said badge on your stationery. So I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district outlining the connection that was statistically proven between elementary school truancy, high school dropouts, who will become a victim of crime, and who will become a perpetrator of crime. We sent it out. To everyone, a friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's going to put you and me in jail. On homes that they don't even have title to and throw people on the street. 
should be uh, um, defended. And, and, you know, people have all their priorities. And, and if you agree with the priorities and say if you're a, you know, a small term uh, um, pot smoker or, you know, nonviolent uh, offender of that kind, you should be forced to uh, to work for 40 cents a day so a corporation can make obscene profits off of you, American sweatshops. And if you're in favor of that, and you're in favor of keeping innocent people in prison and, and slow walking their their, um, their documents. If any candidate who espouses positions like that, or you know maybe not talks about it but did it, um, if that is the kind of uh, president you want, sure, you know go right ahead and, and support that. But to me, it's it's abhorrent, and I I need to see people who have priorities like. I don't know, stopping climate change before, you know, the, the window slams shut. We have, um, you know, runaway greenhouse effects. You know, it, it, for every, you know, patch of ice that, that melts in, in, in the ocean, um, it starts to uh, accelerate climate change and then more ice melts. And if it gets a little bit warmer, all of this tundra throughout the, the, the north, northern uh, and, and deep southern uh, um, uh, uh, latitudes, They'll start outgassing methane, which is an even more powerful greenhouse gas than, than uh, carbon dioxide. Um, you know, if you if you support fracking or some fracking, or you know, you want to uh, um, eliminate uh, regulations on us exporting uh, liquid natural gas, which comes from fracking, and that's going to accelerate climate change, which is already uh, killing people and, and uh, you know, destroying communities and making storms and, and, and weather worse and worse. And the, the, the Pentagon, you know, I'm not a huge supporter of the Pentagon, believe me, but they've um, identified climate change as one of the top national security threats facing us, even worse than, uh, uh, than terrorism. So if you want to abet something and aid something and advance something that's a bigger threat to American lives than terrorism, well, if that's your priority, then there's a bunch of candidates you can support. To me, it's, I think we can do better than that. I Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you brought up the truancy uh, situation, which I did not mention. And you're correct on that. She was jailing four parents for their kids being truant. How does that solve the problem? This is, you know, I don't know. So there, she's definitely somebody that there's just, I don't, I see very little uh, redemption, and, and I did not vote for her, full disclosure, for when she ran for Senate. I did not vote for her. So, because um, I had already had problems with her as attorney. I, I did vote for her when she ran for attorney general, thinking that she was going to be a very different kind of attorney general than, than what she ended up being. Yeah. And I was sorely, um, sorely disappointed uh, with her record. So now we also have Pulsey. Um, who's thrown her a hat into the ring. She's, she's a mixed bag as well. Uh, you know, she's come out, she made some, she was uh, once a very homophobic individual that made some horrific, horrifically homophobic statements. She's come out and apologized for that. And she's obviously not that way now, but it, those exist. Um, she's also had uh, support for Hindu nationalists on the very far right, Modi, uh, for example, she, her stance on the Iran deal, I think, was very war hawkish, even though she is now become uh, more of a non, uh, non-interventionist. So, or, uh, you know, so she's kind of all over the map. And I think for that reason, it makes her a target. I do like that her positives are she came out 
and supported Bernie in the last election cycle. With, and, and even if that meant losing her position in the DNC, she was willing to do that. So I think that's a solid, uh, respectable position. And I think a lot of her current foreign policy is good. What are what are your thoughts on Tulsi? Well, um, as you mentioned, she had a lot of bad positions when she was younger. And she's barely old enough to run for president now. Um, depending on how old you are, she's either, you know, very young or, you know, not, not so young, but to, to, to somebody with my age, uh, you know, she's still, uh, relatively young. Um, when I was her age, I was doing who knows how many foolish things. So, um, and, and when she was doing some of these, you know, saying some things that she was under the influence of, uh, um, some kind of, uh, religious doctrine, in in Hawaii that her father espoused, you know, I I I, I would defend my father um, pretty much anything that he says. Luckily, my father has been a little bit more progressive than that. But um, uh, you know, so I'm not making any excuses for her. She's made her statements, and I think people can evaluate that. Um, what I do admire about her is that she has um, exceptional courage for a politician. She said that you know, we have no business um, having troops in um, Syria. Friends, do you think Assad if is we our are enemy? serious about the pursuit of peace? Do you think Assad is our enemy? Assad is not the enemy of the United States because the United uh, Syria does not pose a direct threat to the United States. What do you say to, to Democratic voters who watched you go over there? And, 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 and what do you say to military members who have been deployed repeatedly in Syria pushing back against Assad? Uh, people who have been deployed to Syria have been there focused on their mission, which has been to defeat ISIS. Our troops have not gone to Syria to uh, wage yet another costly, destructive regime change war. And many troops I hear from express frustration mm -hmm. at the fact that our country continues to wage senseless, costly regime change wars, followed by nation-building missions, leading to uh, situations like we see in Afghanistan. So many examples of our troops being deployed, their lives put on the line without understanding what the clear mission or objective is and how that mission actually serves the security of the American people so in the United uh, States. Which I think a lot of Americans would agree with you there. But again, going back to Assad, Assad is not an enemy. Is he an, ad is he an adversary mm. of the United States? We have to look to who poses a threat to the United States no, and no, the American people. I understand people. that, but there are a lot of people who don't pose a direct military threat to the United States who consider themselves to be adversaries of the United States. That, that Vladimir is... Putin poses uh, or considers uh, America to be an enemy. We consider Russia to be an adversary. I'm just asking you, do you consider Assad to be an adversary of the United States? When I America? look at whether it's Syria or Turkey or Russia or China or other countries in the world, I look at what are their interests mm -hmm. and are their interests counter to our interests. So what would you say he is to the United States? If you cannot say that he's an adversary or an enemy, what is Assad to the U.S.? What is the word? You can describe it however you want to describe it. My, I want to my, know how you describe my it. My point is that whether it is Syria or any of these other countries, we need to look at how their interests are counter to or aligned with ours. Are, is, are Assad's interests aligned with ours? What are Assad's interests? Assad seems interested in the slaughter primarily of his own people, in part. I mean, how survival, does that line up? Survival, yeah. She took the lead on getting the United States out of the um, 
the uh, slaughter that the Saudi Arabians are leading in Yemen. Um, she's um, uh, put in legislation. See, a lot of people will make a stump speech, and that's it. Or they'll mention something or issue a press release. She's put in legislation to um, ban arms sales to aggressive countries. And if we could just start with that, and this is already U.S. law, but it's widely ignored, you know, routinely ignored. But if we could reiterate, the United States does not arm combatants. If you're using weaponry, and we talked about how we have more weapons that we can use, and that puts a lot of pressure to sell, you know, um, weapons to, you know, we, we sold weapons to the, um, uh, uh, to the fighters that became uh, al-Qaeda. And we're currently arming people who are affiliated with ISIS. And we're fighting with ISIS or fighting against ISIS. It, it, it becomes like a Mel Brooks movie uh, if it weren't, you know, be a comedy if it weren't so tragic. You know, it's just so... And she says, you know, we shouldn't do that. And she also put in legislation to reiterate that the United States is going to uh, abide by international law and not support regime change. And that's on the headlines now as we're trying to go after Venezuela. And, you know, people are talking about human rights in Venezuela. It ain't about human rights in Venezuela. It's about drilling rights in, in Venezuela. It's a weird coincidence that we support, we either ignore or support human rights violations everywhere, except for, if, you know, over or near oil. You know, it's a, an odd coincidence that if there are... Um, you know these these proven oil reserves suddenly were, were were Mother Teresa for human rights, but you know we're we're we're, we're Mahatma Gandhi for human rights, but you know uh, you know uh, you know a thousand miles or a hundred miles or fifty miles away from from where there's uh, an oil reserve, eh? you know that's that's their business. We can't get involved. So. Yeah, you know, the whole entire situation in Venezuela is tragic because, you know, now you've got, and this is entirely, entirely related to oil and corporate interference from the Americans. You know, they want to blame the current uh, situation on Chavez, et cetera, but that's just a bullshit claim. The only reason we want to get involved is because they are um, at large oil reserves. If they didn't have large oil reserves, they would not be saying Venezuela is in our backyard. And my response to that is no, they're not they're not in our backyard. They are our neighbors. Start yep. with the regime change. It just solves nothing. So yeah. Tulsi, yeah, I agree. So Tulsi has some really solid current foreign policy stances that I um, absolutely agree with. So she's but you know, I you know, looking at the other stuff that I, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree with that. She came out, she apologized, she owned it at least. She wasn't mincing words at all. So I respect that. Um, I think it takes courage to do that. I respect that more than somebody that tries to play, uh, you know, a different game like Joy Reid did. First she denied it, then she said I didn't write it. Like, you know, at least... Yeah, she said she was hacked. Yeah. She hacked, yeah. So, uh, so Tulsi does get points for that. Uh, we all make mistakes. God knows if I was judged on my opinions at 20, I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> so that's right. also, you know... It's true. I mean, we, we're a role quite, you know, when you're 20, you're young, you're, you're influenced by your parents. You don't necessarily have enough world experience uh, or knowledge or, or exposure to varying viewpoints to know that maybe these, these things aren't correct. So, so it's true. So um, we'll see where that goes. I would definitely vote for her in a heartbeat much sooner than I would ever vote for Kamala Harris. So then we have Elizabeth Warren. Um, I have always been 
pleased with Elizabeth Warren when she fights the banksters for the obvious reason. She's uh, been pretty solid in that area. But, you know, again, also she has kind of switched stances on things. Like at one time she, she was supporting uh, school vouchers in her book, uh, The Two-Income Trap, that she wrote with her daughter, I believe. And um, she advocated for school vouchers in that book. And now, of course, she's split sides and she's against it um, and came out fighting against that before uh, the Betsy Davos confirmation. But there's also some other things. And I'm still a little bit uh, taken aback by the fact that during the primary the last time she came out and endorsed Hillary Clinton that does not have the similar viewpoint that she does over Bernie. Like, I, I'm still not clear on why she did that. Was that political expediency? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts uh, on Elizabeth Warren? Well, my memory of it is that um, Elizabeth Warren refused to endorse anybody uh, until Bernie uh, basically endorsed uh, Hillary Clinton. And I was actually in the uh, convention hall when Bernie uh, moved to suspend the rules and where I was, there were a bunch of Hillary supporters, and they were saying, like, what is he doing now? Oh, my gosh, I can't stand him. And what he did was suspend the rules to give all of his delegates to uh, to Hillary Clinton. And I didn't hear them say, oh, wow, you know, good for him. They were just like, eh, man. They were just, like, mad that they were mad at him, you know, mad at him again. Yeah, mad at him for making them seem foolish for being mad at him before. So, you know, a lot of dysfunction going on. And I don't think that uh, Elizabeth Warren endorsed before um, before that point. I could be wrong. Um, but I, I've known a lot of people, and the endorsement game is a real... If you, if you um, see the other side of it, there are a handful of people that I really, really like who will endorse people out of loyalty. And some of my friends who've run for office have been endorsed by people that I didn't really like, but they endorsed them back out of loyalty. And you got to give them a pass on that. Um, but a lot of people endorsed Hillary Clinton before the whole process began because they did a couple of things. They went up to people and they would say, they'd say, Hillary's going to win. We know Hillary's going to win. You have a choice. Either endorse her now or you go on our list of people who are not with us or not enthusiastically with us or not with us early enough. And when she's president, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a talk about that. Or when you come and, and ask to get something done, we're going to remember you. And people said, well, what's the point in throwing myself in front of a, a runaway train? If she's going to be elected. I'm going to, and there were a lot of really progressive people like John Conyers uh, endorsed Hillary Clinton before everything started. And I know that John Conyers and, um, and Bernie Sanders are close allies and friends and work together on a lot of legislation, a lot more than um, with, with Hillary Clinton. But, you know, it, there's, you know, you can, some people will, will do something for attention or do something to make a point, and I respect that. And then there's some people who say, look, you know, this is a, a long game, this is a dirty business. You know, I don't want to have the Clintons come after me like they came after uh, Clyburn for uh, endorsing Obama in 08, where Bill Clinton, you know, left uh, obscenity-laced tirades on Clyburn's uh, uh, answering machine and, um, you know, threatened him and made uh, racist remarks about Obama. You know, um, people have to make decisions and I understand that, you know, that these endorsements can shake out all different ways. And that's why when Tulsi and Raul Grijalva and Keith Ellison and Jeff Merkley uh, endorsed Bernie, 
knowing what they knew, um, I, you know, I have kind of a special place in my heart for people with that kind of courage. And so, um, you know, if, if you're not going to support anybody who didn't uh, endorse Bernie, you got a real long list of people to be against, including some really good people. So, I, you know, I, I caution people to, to reconsider that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, what do you think about also, uh, I should take him some slack for claiming to have uh, be a descendant of Native Americans, uh, you know, which has been, unfortunately, Trump has used this to make some exceedingly racist, um, horrifying yeah. statements calling her poker, which I, I don't ask. Like, it's disgusting to me. But yeah. on the flip side, I've also seen some of the leftists who are Native Americans, uh, being upset about her claim for different reasons because they feel that she sort of preempted their culture in a way that she's obviously not that deeply associated to it. So I don't, you know, I'm not sure what the correct answer is there, but do you think that that could be um, a problem for her? Well, I think that anything could be a potential problem. And as we've seen, things that haven't even happened have been, you know, quote unquote, a problem for Bernie as people have, you know, pounded it into the ground, even though it isn't true. Uh, in this case, yes, she took that DNA test. It came back as, you know, not what she said. And, um, you know, it, I, I'll just say I wouldn't have done it. But what, you know, my understanding is that her mother or grandmother assured her that this was the case. And, um, you know, DNA tests can be wrong. You know, the, the, the but to, to me... Anybody who's upset about that is entitled to be upset about it. If you're really upset, you know, if it really offends you, I'm not going to question somebody's experience or somebody's uh, um, feelings because people are entitled to, to their experience, and I honor that. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, Trump has been, you know, um, making uh, racist and disparaging remarks and uh, Trump, you know, ignored suffering that's going on in the country, but rushed to the defense of the uh, of the, uh, um, uh, the school uh, kids who uh, um, surrounded and mocked the uh, Native American. He defended them. You know, so I guess what I want to say is, if you're if you have a legitimate complaint about a candidate, you you know something that they did really bothered you. I honor that. I respect that. But if you're trying to, you know, um, play politics and, and, and make a, a big thing about something that you really don't care about one way or the other, to me, I think that, you know, that's not okay. Um, you know, it reminds me of in the 08 uh, campaign when Hillary Clinton was beating up on Obama for supporting gun control. And she was talking about how, you know, um, you know, he, he uh, disrespected um, sportsmen and, you know, didn't respect the uh, uh, Second Amendment. And she was going to defend all that and that she, you know, her grandfather took her out hunting or something. And Obama just ridiculed her. And I think rightfully so. He just called her out. He said, you're playing politics on this. You're acting like you're Annie Oakley with a six shooter. And and I don't think that she ever completely recovered from that. And um, you know, and, and I, I, you know, if somebody's going to play politics about something and and you know, wave their fist around and shake their fist and 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 uh, attack somebody else when their candidate has just as bad of a record or worse on an issue, or you're just 
flip-flopping around and raising money with the NRA, and then you're attacking Bernie for the position that you had on, you know, five minutes ago. You know, to me, that's the worst kind of cynical politics. It goes back to, like, the uh, you know, Roger Ailes and Lee Atwater and Carl Rove, David Brock kind of thing, you know, uh, Sally Albright. You know, these are all people who, um, you know, uh, caucus with the Republicans and help them. Um, you know, Sally Albright tried to get Newt Gingrich elected president. She worked with uh, Richard Shelby. And uh, now she talks about, you know, you, you talk about Newt Gingrich, who called Obama the food stamp president and, and you know, supported uh, taking, um, you know, food and, 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 uh, and, and um, money to heat your house from uh, women with children and, and tried to imply that it was mostly people of color. And you're going to turn around and call somebody else a racist after you were uh, working for Newt Gingrich. I mean, Newt Gingrich could offer me $25 million to help him, and I would have to say no. There's no, there's not an amount of money that would cause me to help a Richard Shelby uh, become a, a senator. And then she, she, you know, you know, attacks other people. No, you know, this is the, this is what drives so many people away from politics. And to be honest with you, I think that's part of the plan. You know, the, the, the Lee Atwaters who said, you know, you can't say the N word. He would, he, he's on a recording. Tom Hartman plays it all the time. Um, you can't say N word, N word, N word, N word. That, that's going to hurt you. But what you say is forced busing or even better, you say welfare. Because now you got two things going on. It's still the same racism. It's dressed up in something else, and and to import people like you know who were mentored by you know these hate merchants, these sleaze merchants like the David Brock into your uh, into the Democratic uh, primaries and, and use those kind of tactics. To me, I think that the, you know you talk about something that's disqualifying. Anybody who works with David Brock or or, or hires David Brock or says David Brock is my guy and he's a, you know, he, he used to be bad, but now, no, you really, you, know, you got to have standards. You got to have some ethics. And, and anybody who's supported by any of those people, you got to really think about it and wonder what, what are they, and, and I'll, I'll put Neera Tandon in, in that group because what she puts out is dishonest. She knows it's dishonest. It's mean spirited. It's ugly. And that only, and this is another thing too. Candidates can attack each other. You can attack candidates. I don't think that that's a good idea. I think the best thing to do is tell the, the voters what you're going to do that'll make their country better and make things better for them, for their lives, for their families, for their communities. But if you're going to attack another candidate, I understand it. What I don't understand is people who will attack voters. Attack, you know, call them deplorables or, you know, they call them Bernie bros or before that they called um, Obama supporters Obama boy. Hey, boy, what you doing, boy? You know, it's like, really? Really? Luckily, it didn't stick with Obama. But, you know, that's, you know, and whoever came up with that strategy don't have anything to do with their candidate and don't have anything to do with anybody who's involved with that because what they're trying to do is drive everyday people out of politics so the elites can have an easier job of getting people in. They want to de-democratize our democratic system. They want to um, you know, turn our politics into a toxic waste dump. And this is the thing about negative campaigning, and I urge everybody who supports Bernie or any candidate 
think about this. When you're attacking another candidate, it's going to hurt that candidate, but it's also going to hurt your candidate. You might as well stay away from it because it's designed to drive people out, and we want more people in. That's right. I, I think that's a very solid advice. And so uh, the last person we have um, is Andrew Yang who's thrown in. Now, Andrew Yang is probably relatively an unknown candidate at this point. But what I find interesting about Andrew is his platform is based on UBI, Universal Basic Income. Hello, I'm Andrew Yang, and I'm running for president as a Democrat in 2020. One of the central elements of my campaign is the Freedom Dividend, where every American receives $1,000 a month, free and clear, paid for by a new tax on the companies that are benefiting most from new technologies. I believe so strongly in the power of the Freedom Dividend to improve tens of millions of Americans' lives that I am personally going to give one New Hampshire resident $1,000 a month every month in 2019. If you know someone who would benefit from receiving $1,000 a month, please do nominate them on the website below. Let's build a new kind of economy, one that puts humanity first. New Hampshire, I will see you on the campaign trail. He's uh, fighting for something that he calls the Freedom Dividend, which would be basically every American gets $1,000 a month uh, free of uh, strings. You know, and I, I'm all for UBI. I think there's um, a lot of reasons why it makes sense. It would definitely do something to reduce the income inequality in the country. And, you know, I, you know, anybody that says, you know, the one argument I've heard about UBI uh, is that, you know, some people wouldn't work for the money, but you can't, I'm sorry, you can't live off 12K a year. And if you want to try to live off 12K a year, I've got nothing to say on that because that would be a very miserable life. And that's something that you're choosing. So I don't think this is a legitimate um, argument. So one way or another, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much of a chance he has of winning, but I do think it's an important um, argument that needs to be brought up and discussed in public. And I think this, uh, that his campaign will do that. Uh, how do you feel about UBI? I think that a thousand a month is probably too low. And I think that it should probably be maybe modified by, um, cost of living, um, regionally or, you know, cause, you know, um, uh, cost of living in Manhattan, uh, New York is a lot lower than in Manhattan, Kansas. Right. But, um, you know, the, it, it would make sense to to do that for a lot of reasons, and uh, a lot of um, people on the right, or you know, uh, people who maybe are, are libertarians, support this. Um, and in Alaska, they have it, and they've had it for a long time. Yeah, the the state has uh, oil royalties, which you know that's problematic. But the basic principle is that if you live in Alaska, if you're a lawful resident there, you get a check in the mail. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Sarah Palin used to brag about and used to uh, become popular was that she increased that. She increased it probably with drill, baby, drill, and there's a whole other bunch of nonsense with her involved. But so we've got a situation where um, we've got veterans who are homeless. We've got people who can't afford to pay their uh, to feed their children, right. so they end up uh, starving themselves all weekend long. Yeah. We've got people who can't afford to pay their bills. We've got an economy that should be demand-driven that is uh, faltering. And what we really need to do is is, is think about, um, you know, we all support, you know, uh, soup kitchens. We all support food pantries. We all support uh, homeless shelters. Well, why don't we give people the wherewithal to uh, live with dignity 
and be able to respect themselves with by getting a check in the mail. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, George McGovern, I think, advocated it as the, uh, he called it the uh, negative income tax. That's right. And that would be poverty-based. But, you know, the idea of every person getting a, a check, so they would um, basically take care of the, the first level of the hierarchy of needs. And then we get that, and we get Medicare for all, college for all, and, and uh, vocational training for all. Um, make work pay for everybody, mm-hmm. and um, a, a, a guaranteed basic income would be uh, a great stimulus for the economy yes. and would would really uh, help people in a lot of ways that would make it unnecessary for a lot of kind of uh, uh, bureaucratic um, programs where, you know, you, you, people who are uh, unable to work because of injury uh, apply for the, the SSI. And they have to go jump through hoops. Um, you know, the, the common knowledge is that they are rejected the first time and they have to keep at it. You know, you know, you got people during the government shutdown who were, you know, professional people who were um, skimping on their insulin right. and, you know, living, you know, paycheck to paycheck and, and, and all of a sudden the paycheck stops. That's not the country that we should have. And it would really make sense. And if there were a candidate who was up on the stage with everybody else, and every time they turned to him, they said, well, what's your solution? He says, well, everybody should have the money for their basic needs and be able to spend it on their own. Then I think that that would be very valuable to have uh, in the conversation. Yeah, I do, too. So um so it's interesting that we have this guy, Andrew, who's coming to the race and he's campaigning on that. So in the very least, I think it will bring the conversation to the forefront, um, which is great. I mean, any attention we can bring to these types of ideas is, is a good thing. So um, on that note, what is uh, what are your parting words or advice that you would want to give some of the young activists that are coming up? Um, What's what are some effective well, tools they can encompass and, and you know utilize in their day to day as we enter into this primary season? Well, um, I want to say I'm tired and I really welcome all the young people to come in <laughs> because um, you know when you know one of the uh, board uh, advisory board members and one of the founders of um, PDA and uh, the website's pdamerica.org if people want to get involved, um, Tom Hayden was in his 20s in uh, the Chicago 8. They were very young, and they were changing uh, um, the conversation, and they were in their 20s. And uh, Dr. King was 29 when he was uh, breaking through and making a huge impact and changing so many things about uh, the the way Americans vote and live and uh, interact with each other. And, And we have a national holiday. So if you're 29 or younger and you get involved, maybe they'll name a national holiday after you. But even short of that, if you're under 30, I mean, we used to, there used to be a saying, don't trust anybody over 30. Everything was being done by people under 30. And if you're uh, over 30, like me, you know, years old, um, you know, we'd love to have everybody involved, but it's really important. It's really, really important for for young people uh, to get involved and and to do everything that they can and try not to get cynical and try not to get baited into um, pointless arguments with closed-minded, cynical, angry, manipulative people. Right. Um, stay positive. 
and engage with each other and, and you know, join PDA. Um, be, we'd love to have you or join uh, an, any number of, of other great organizations who do things on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, engage people, um, be positive, work to, to make this world a better place. You know, the, um, the Sunrise Movement, so uh, inspiring. So wonderful, um, you know. I, you know, the, the Trump uh, was uh, quoted as, as saying, you know, they, they warned and they said your policies are going to cause the deficit to explode, yeah. and in ten years we're going to be in, in this. And, and what Trump said was, I, I won't be around. I'm going to be gone, so I don't care. But here's the thing: if you're a young person, you're going to be around. Yeah. And get involved, and you know, if you if you're a young person for any of the candidates that are, are running, or, or you you know, you want to. Uh, support um, a candidate that we haven't mentioned or, or, or somebody else. You want to support Bernie or something, you know, whatever you want to do, get involved, but do it in a positive way and, yeah. and learn learn from the mistakes of our generations that, that have, have gone before you. We took a lot of things for granted. We burned way too much oil and we're still doing it. And we, we were uh, too uh, um, uh, uh, tribal and yeah. distrustful of people who look different from we did. And we have a horrendous record of, of mistreating people in other countries and in our country. And um, we had done terrible things and held women back and held people of color back. And these are terrible things. And and you can do better and you are doing better. When I see young people, um, I'm just so encouraged and so inspired. And I just can't wait to, to sit back and watch all the wonderful things that you do. Yes, that is solid. And I agree with all that. Um, also, Mike, what is your uh, Twitter handle if folks want to follow you on Twitter? Okay, at Mike Hirsch. I was one of the old people who got involved in Twitter really early, so I don't have to be the real or whatever <laughs> uh, for me, or like Mike Hirsch, 9,016, whatever. Right, right, it's right. just Mike Hirsch, <laughs> and it makes it real easy, yeah. Excellent. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Um,